Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Today, I have Ira Singer, principal of Mosaic Construction. Ira, how's it going? Good, Mark. Thanks. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Excited to have you. I don't think I've had anyone um, uh, with regard to construction. Uh, So for those that are new to the podcast or haven't listened in the past, this is the multifamily five. And typically we ask five questions, uh, just trying to get to the brunt of the discussion. No fluff. And uh, I try to bring on service professionals and verse, you know, I don't know if you listen to many podcasts, uh, but in the multifamily space, there's a lot of uh, syndicators that are marketing to, uh, to passive investors. But, you know, I, I try to focus on the vendors for the most part and understand how they're helping multifamily investors achieve success. So with that, Ira, let's get into your background and experience. Want to learn a little bit about yourself and then also about your company, Mosaic. Terrific. Uh, so thanks for that. The, uh, my background started uh, almost 30 years ago through the exterior uh, residential component of remodeling and got my uh, work started as a uh, window siding roofing expert, which quickly through sales uh, led into multifamily and other asset classes. And so in uh, our current business of Mosaic Construction, I am charged with leading new business development Uh, I run our marketing department. Of course, we have our team here and how we acculturate them to our mosaic actions and our methodologies and our principles as to how we manage construction are all part of the work that I do. Also, finding new vendors, uh, specifically trade partners, not only in the Midwest, but in broader markets for us to do our construction, regardless of the type of asset that we're working on. So, uh, you know, as a small business owner, Uh, involved in leadership and making sure that everything that is happening in the field in construction is uh, as expected uh, that we set up with our clients. Okay. And then can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Mosaic Construction as far as, um, you know, where you operate, how many employees, so on and so forth? So Mosaic Construction is located in Northbrook, Illinois. We have an office in downtown Chicago and one up in Milwaukee, uh, we currently have 14 team members, uh, which are positioned at the f- at the three locations. We work as construction managers, general contractors, uh, where we are experts in multifamily, residential, uh, commercial, and uh, some other areas uh, that are specialty construction areas, medical office, for instance. And uh, we've been doing that since uh, 1993. So we are uh, doing it a long time. Uh, I have two business partners uh, that are also charged with some CFO responsibilities and other uh, leading of construction work. And uh, we've been very fortunate through uh, our relationships to have a variety of different projects and a continued busy uh, through not only the last few months, but really through the course of our careers. Great. So the listeners cannot see you. I I just put out the audio content, but I'm looking behind you and I see cooperation, teamwork, continuous improvement. Uh, Can you tell us anything about some of those words that are uh, in your background? 
So the, uh, the culture of Mosaic Construction is really based on the relationships that we have with our team and with our trades and obviously with our clients. And so to create what is behind us, which is basically a word wall, uh, we put out a list of about 150 words to our team and we had them rank their top 10 and we sifted through to find which words continued to be uh, repeated and identified by our team. And so that represents like the top 20 words that are up there. Uh, and as you read them, enthusiasm, honesty, dependability, efficiency, loyalty, continuous improvement, thankfulness, strategic. Uh, you know, those are some of the things that we focus on in our conference room. Uh, we also have the mosaic actions, which are really uh, what most people would call a mission vision effort. For us, yeah. it's focused on how it all comes together for Mosaic around building relationships, closing the loop, which is huge in construction, contributing to a positive environment, anticipating needs, also a big thing in project management to see what's coming down the pipeline, uh, communicating our story and doing it the right way. So we, uh, you know, we practice that, we make it our intention to instill that as part of our team and our trade partners. And it really helps to take things from uh, site protection through demolition, through punch list to get a project complete correctly. Yeah, that's great. Love it. All right. Thank so you. let's get into this. How I, Just post pandemic, you know, we're a couple months after, um, I guess, the at least here in the U.S., the stay in place order was was put in place. So what does your business look like today? And how has how has it changed just over the last couple of months? And, and I know that's it's probably very market dependent too, and and uh, metropolitan specific. So we, uh, of course, since uh, early March, have been uh, paying attention to what was going on in uh, in Illinois, where our offices are, and uh, we proactively had our team uh, start to work remotely. Uh, which was new. We had a few people that worked in Chicago and Milwaukee, so we didn't have our full roster all the time. But in terms of how that affected our construction, we immediately put into place a COVID policy that allowed us to uh, write down specifically what the actions were going to be on job sites related to uh, hand washing, PPE, uh, social distancing, uh, schedule adjustment, we were fortunate to come into 2020 with a good pipeline of work. And so we had work that needed to continue that were in various stages of construction. And none of our clients wanted to have that construction disrupted. Uh, one of our trades closed their doors uh, in terms of the safety of their team. And so we had to replace one of our key trades on a project. Uh, that was something that we did fluidly and uh, transparently with the client. Mm -hmm. uh, one client until the state of Illinois uh, put in place their, uh, the fact that construction was an essential business in Illinois. We had one client that was waiting for that announcement and we had about a week's worth of gap from where we were in construction until we came back because he asked us to pull off. Uh, but we have work, been working continuously through the pandemic uh, observing, you know, all of the various uh, now today terms and rules that uh, allow for the safety of not only our team, but all the trades and of course the clients. The buildings we're working in are mostly vacant. Mm -hmm. uh, so that helps uh, that the work is able to continue without having the client or the resident or the tenant uh, in place, because uh, that would make it more challenging. 
Um, so we do residential work. Some of our clients have moved out. And that's yeah. just, uh, you know, how we are navigating through these last 10 weeks of construction. Okay. So that brings up a good point. Uh, the question would be in a multifamily setting, especially in today's environment uh, with, you know, depending on the market, active, maybe not active shelter-in-place orders. I know here in Dallas, we lifted them in May. Uh, but still, you know, there, there's some things that have changed. So how do you safely renovate with, um, you know, shelter-in-place type orders? So, you know, if the principle of protection and social distancing are really the two biggest uh, areas that we have to pay attention to in terms of how we are interacting with whomever we're interacting with, be it multiple trades on a site or trades and your residents. Uh, you know, we're looking at projects that would be non-invasive into their unit uh, or we're able, you know, one of the things that we've discussed with two of our multifamily clients is if they have vacancy in a few units to use those as quote unquote hotel units, not for major renovation where we're doing, you know, kitchens, baths, walls, floors, nothing like that, but unit doors um, or interior doors or windows and doors, which are obviously at the outside walls of these units. So you have to fully come in. If there is a vacant unit that they can set up as a flex space uh, co-working space where that resident can go in there for the day while their work is happening, most of those projects I've listed that are inside projects are one day where we would come in and come out. Fully protected, uh, floor protection, do the work. Other jobs that would not invade anyone's interior unit would be common areas, exterior work, obviously, from siding to roofing. Um, you know, we have found that uh, doing signage updates, doing uh, concrete and asphalt work, parking enclosures um, or parking or garbage dumpster enclosures, things that are, you know, somewhat, you know, you've put it to the side because it's not a sexy improvement but the property needs the work. And so you pivot to create opportunities where you're doing work that can be done without having impact to the residents and worrying about their perception as the owner operator management company is bringing in contractors during COVID-19. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to not raise any heightened concerns for your residents and communication is key how you communicate to your residents, how we communicate to our clients for the schedule, keeping the schedule are really the key factors to being successful when you're working in occupied space. Yeah. So after shelter in place, you know, call it back in March, there was a lot of investors that I think went to just emergency repairs because they wanted to hold cash. They didn't know what to expect moving forward with regard to rent collections. Um, do you think you've seen, and again, this is metro by metro dependent, but uh, here in Dallas, Fort Worth, the collections have remained strong. And I think, you know, that's that's across the country um, just in general. But do you, do you see that your clients, um, you know, did they halt any renovations and just say, hey, we want to go to emergency repairs only? And do you see that kind of shifting to where, hey, we're going to get back to our CapEx or our renovation plans? So I think it's both. Uh, I think there are clients that are uh, that had plans in place that have taken their foot off the gas pedal and they want to see what the effect is of you know collecting rent. Um, there's a lot of conversation on the both local and national scene about uh, help for the owners. 
you know, for some type of rent uh, assistance so they can collect. Uh, because if, if they're not collecting and ultimately there's not income to support that, either their investors or the banks that they're, you know, borrowing money from to support their asset, uh, there's going to have to be important conversations. And uh, all of it trickles down to maybe, you know, having a squeeze on larger capital improvement projects. Um, but there also creates opportunities to look at the asset that you own, you know, especially in the workforce housing where value add is really the name of the game. And with the market and, and the concern for people's unemployment and not having their jobs, not having their income, people still need a place to live. And so having assets that are um, smart, that are well-kept, that are in construction, not new construction, but value-add remodeling construction allows for them to have, uh, you know, I would think a greater attraction in the market during these times. There, you know, you can, you can upgrade your, uh, your asset during this time and emerge in a different rent class once the dust settles because, you know, you, you're, you're, you're repositioning the asset. Yeah. Now we may not see many or, or much, um, we may not see rent increases moving forward really for the rest of the year, um, potentially even next year. So what renovation investments are investors making today to drive rent increases? Probably not today, but you know, in the future. So I think it depends on the class of the asset we're talking about. Uh, you know, not everything is a, uh, you can't replicate what you can do in class A luxury uh, rental in workforce housing, affordable housing, and student housing. They all have different needs. And certainly one of the common themes throughout because of all of our, you know, the one of the things that's come out of COVID is the Zoom and the technology that all of us are operating off of that really didn't exist. And it's, it's raised the importance of connectivity because that is how we are connecting to our social channels and to our individual relationships is through Zoom and other platforms like that. And so I would say across all asset classes, uh, investments that can be made are technology uh, investments. Connectivity, uh, co-working spaces, depending on what the setup of the building is, creating micro offices within either vacant units or within larger community spaces. Uh, I think that is a very doable improvement over the course of any asset, over the delineation of any asset class. As far as, you know, kitchens, baths, interiors versus common areas versus amenity spaces that don't exist or that needed to be upgraded. You know, there's uh, the package locker uh, world is also amongst all asset classes, a highly, in my opinion, very smart investment because through the ability to not go retail shopping as consumers, we are still buying things from a variety of different online sources. And where all of that packaging comes into the asset needs to be organized. And so a package room solves for that regardless of asset class. Um, the ability and want to go outdoors. As we are in May and almost June, the entire country now has good weather and having outside space on your multifamily campus, community, property, where you can go out and be safe 
you know, with your pets, with a pavilion, with some outdoor activity space, with trails. Those are all things that as we come out of COVID have a much greater uh, visual for the rental market because people realize what they haven't had over the last three months and they're looking for it. So if you can speak to that in your asset makeover, those are things that I think have real value to the rental market. Do you think those achieve a greater ROI today in this environment versus the typical kitchens or bathrooms upgrades? No, I don't. I mean, I think that when you're looking at, you know, what people live in their apartments. And so, yes, they're, you know, let's say that the world normalized and people are going to work and coming back to their homes for the, you know, the evening and, and beyond or their, whatever their shift gives them time in their unit, they live in their unit. They mm-hmm. want to have the comforts of home in their unit, you know, which means updates and technology and uh, pretty, uh, you know, opening up walls to create a larger space within a rental unit. I do think there's a case where in redesigning some spaces within a multifamily portfolio, you may be looking to build more spaces to segment population groups, but within the unit. I do think that you know kitchens and baths and flooring and storage, um, appliances, you know, lighting, those things have a greater ROI than a package room, for sure. Okay. Speaking of ROI, can you explain the ROI timeline and then uh, maybe help the, the listeners better understand the ROI timeline for common facility improvements? So if we're talking about uh, the ability to make over an entire building or community in the common area, uh, such as corridors, such as amenity spaces, you know, commonly used spaces, I think that those are opportunities where you can start to uh, charge holistically across the property for those improvements that you've made. Uh, There are certain things that matter, again, depending on the class of the asset. Um, You know, we're seeing in class A, not only development work, but also in reconstruction value add, um, you know, shared space, uh, kitchen space, outdoor space, grill space, um, outdoor activity space. So, Those types of things have, I think, an immediate ROI. You can take your rent because you've made that improvement and bump. A whole makeover for interiors are more on a unit-by-unit, month-by-month basis. And I think that's much more of a test for getting your $30, $40, $80, $100 a month bump based on the investment you've made and getting a renter in their new or re-upping an existing and upping the rent, you know, to cover your, uh, you know, what you've just spent. I think that's much more on a case-by-case basis. You cannot wholesale improve the rent on a property if you're not uh, touching the interiors of all of those units. And that takes quite a bit of time because you can do about 20 makeover units in a month if you're really hustling, depending on what the scope is and how much you want to disrupt the asset. Yeah, so I hear that a lot as far as some investors want to go. They, they say inside out, they start with the interiors and then move to the exteriors. Um, and then some are, you know, hey, I want to get rid of deferred maintenance and then go to the inside. Then they'll go to, you know, community amenities. Do you have any recommendation uh, for your clients with, you know, regard to consider workforce housing? So I, I would say that the, 
the assessment piece, the upfront piece, the pre-construction piece is really, really important. And that's not only on design work to flesh out budgeting, it's also on contractor selection to have professional eyes. You know, if you're gonna buy an asset, you know walking in there that the apartments need work. You know that the common areas are dilapidated. You may have an inspection or have eyes to see the roofs don't look too good. The siding or the guttering is falling off the building. In my world of what makes sense from the protection of the asset, it does start from the outside and then work its way inside because the, the water intrusion and the water management not only is key for the asset's value, but it's great for the long term because there's so many maintenance-free products that if you make substantive changes to the exterior, you do get a facelift aesthetic improvement that anyone coming into the asset, if there was you know, new masonry accents, new siding, new gutters, windows, entry doors, you know, storefront entry into the building, those show, landscaping shows, you know, paving and sidewalk does show nicely, good signage. So all of that outdoor stuff that doesn't necessarily translate to the renter thinking, you know, I walk, it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, they haven't touched it from the investment side, the long-term value, the outside really does matter from the visual and optics of the renter. It's about amenities. It's about the unit. It's about being updated. You know, they don't want to have to have service tickets. They don't want to have to call management on a every other month basis because this is broken and that is broken. And so the way to, of course, eliminate those concerns is to renovate the asset from the interior, which likely has a greater touch point to the, uh, to the renter, to the person who is, you know, living there and uh, would pay more to live in a nicer unit. Even if we're talking about workforce housing where the level of finish is not necessarily, you know, stainless appliances and stone tops and tile surrounds and bathtubs versus, you know, acrylic wall surrounds and more vinyl sheet goods and, you know, maybe a lesser quality cabinet, but new is still new. Yeah, okay. So there's a, uh, temptation, I think, to uh, sometimes over-improve a building. And they say, you know, look around at your competition, see what the, com the competing uh, product is, is offering. Is there any indicators that would say, hey, and this is just a simple example, but maybe all the surrounding uh, competing properties have uh, resurfaced countertops and black appliances. Uh, is, are there any indicators maybe where you would over-improve a property or go to the next level to test out a sample of maybe granite countertops and stainless steel appliances? So the risk there is that if you choose to do that in a smattering of the units to prove your concept, that you, know, you have a low investment upfront, but you don't necessarily get what you want. And so, you know, you can try that and you can prove that, but just because it happens in a smaller percentage of the units, it doesn't mean that it's a wholesale, you're able to do that. Even if you have the money to do the improvement, it does not mean that you're going to be able to increase and bump the rent on every one of those units because you were able to get it in, in seven to 10 as a test. Yeah. Uh, I think that's um, not necessarily a strategy that I would advise my clients on. I think what's going to be a result of coming out of, you know, the return to work and, 
uh, as the hopefully the second half of the year sees us with more normalized uh, home and work situations, is that there's going to be more competition for renters. People are going to move less. You know, there's not going to be, is, you know, people are staying in place. There has definitely been a shift in mentality. And so I think that provides an opportunity if people are willing to stay. If you're going to, as an owner, make an investment into the asset, that speaks well to supporting people's new mindset that they're not moving. They have a place. There are some apartment communities are going under. Some, you know, some assets are not able to be uh, staying in place, the bank has taken them back. And so what you can do to serve your residents, to give them the type of service and safety and finish and fit and finish within the asset is, uh, I think, a strategy that owners are going to be moving toward as we come out of this situation. Is Mosaic typically involved with your multifamily clients from complete life cycle from planning and design? Yes. Um, so and what we, is that? We prefer the design build process. Okay. Um, as, as value add and renovators and remodelers, we are, we are not uh, in the business of developing and building out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And so being able to walk onto an existing asset, uh, see what exists from the current finishes, uh, you know, deterioration shows up in all kinds of ways and a good experienced contractor can, mm-hmm. can see those things, relate those things, put some pre-budgeting cost to those things, help to set the table for, you know, again, you go and want, you're, you're doing your due diligence and looking at, you're zeroing in on an asset. You know, as an experienced operator or even a first-time operator, that something doesn't look right. But a construction professional coming in and being able to assess with our eyes what is failing, what needs work from a maintenance point of view versus a full makeover point of view for the investment wholesale. And, you know, again, multifamily, it's in multiples. So you can't just look at, you can have a section of roof that's leaking, but if all the roofing looks terrible, you need to do a wholesale roof change. That's not a small number when you're talking about multiple buildings in a community. So, you know, we are there to help with pre-budgeting, design selection, material selection, match it up to the, you know, to the type of asset it is, whether it's class A, student, senior, workforce, different finishes and different amenities matter to those different asset classes of multifamily. And is that part of the planning process for your team to go through and actually look at the competition um, to determine, you know, which, uh, which design options that you may choose moving forward or which way you'll take the renovation? So when we're working design build, it absolutely is. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in the front seat of the car partnering with our clients for all of that work pre-construction. When it's design bid build and they already have a design partner in place who has laid out this is the floor finish, this is the appliance package, this is the um, you know the the construction for the renovated clubhouse or other spaces, then we're not in a position to lend uh, decision making. We can prov- you know it's interesting the design build process is bringing architecture and design and construction up front. 
design bid build is for the architect design it. We go out and bid it. Sometimes me and my trade partners, we come onto a site that has a set of plans in place and we're seeing the constructability of those plans not matching up for really what the field is telling us. And a good construction partner, a good contractor is going to look to bring good communication, make suggestion, create RFIs to flesh out things ahead of construction so we can make those decisions on the computer versus making those decisions in the field, which cost real dollars. But sometimes the design bid build process is, is in a vacuum. You know, it's based on finishes. It's based on what the owner says. I want that wall out, but in that wall is an HVAC duct. In that wall uh, exists, you know, they weren't changing the floor, but when you take a wall out, obviously the floor is affected. And now all of a sudden you're zigging and zagging. And uh, so we prefer design build where we can help to consult and be a partner before any of the, you know, any of the demolition has happened. At what point do you like to engage with clients? I mean, if you have an exclusive client and they're touring properties, or is it during the due diligence phase that you want to be brought in to uh, start that process? What does that look like? It's both. I mean, we have uh, longstanding clients that we work with uh, who bring us in as they are looking at the asset for the first time. You know, we're getting the offering memorandum to see what the project is, uh, to see what the asset looks like on paper. Uh, We're making a tour with them. Uh, We're giving them eyes for uh, what we see in conversation for what they think they wanna do to the asset. We're talking about what what their investment strategy is. Is it something that, you know, I have clients that buy and hold forever. I have clients that buy and depending on how quickly they can work through their construction, you know, it's a three to five year term. And that doesn't matter about the asset class. So as much as we can be a a construction partner in the planning and due diligence phase, the better it is not only for Mosaic, but also for the client, Mm -hmm. because they're getting our intellectual property and our construction experience as a way to go through the property and budget uh, so they don't make a bad investment. Well, Ira, thanks so much for your time. What is the best way for listeners to reach out and learn more about you or your company? So I'd love for uh, any of your listenership to go to our website, which is mosaicconstruction.net. It's all one word. There's an info ad on, you know, where you can contact me, but directly it's Ira, I-R-A, at mosaicconstruction.net. You know, we're a national remodeling contractor, so we will be able to assist in uh, a variety of different locations, a variety of different asset classes. Uh, you know, of course, you wouldn't hire my company to come out and, and paint a deck, you know, beyond an hour or two of Chicagoland. So when you're talking about, you know, projects that make sense, you're talking about projects that are really wholesale changes, a long-term deployment of renovation to make over an asset. Uh, that's really the best plug and play for us. We've worked uh, in the Midwest, in the East, in the West and South. So, um, you know, there aren't, uh, we're not limited by geography. We work with local trade partners to execute the work and we manage it obviously from our Midwest office. All right. Ira, again, thanks for your time and thanks for sharing your experience and I look forward to connecting soon. 
Mark, thank you. It was really enjoyable. I appreciate the good conversation and you're having me as a guest on your show. Yes, sir. Take care. You too. Thank you.